Hello, I'm Dr. Sierra Caldwell, and I'm a chiropractor at Catalyst Wellness in Heartland, Wisconsin. And I'm Dr. Casey Walters, also a chiropractor and co-owner of Catalyst. This is Health Reimagined, our podcast about how we're re-envisioning healthcare. Today we're going to talk to Dr. Casey about growing her business that has now been open for 10 whole years. Can you tell us a little bit about Catalyst? Yeah, Catalyst Wellness uh, founded in Big Bend at our flagship flagship location in 2014. Um, we created the model as a multidisciplinary approach that incorporate incorporates a lot of different conservative healthcare modalities. Um, and our mission across the years as a whole has been to serve as a catalyst for people by providing knowledge, mindset-focused coaching, and safe and effective movement strategies for a healthy lifestyle. So we've really kind of taken the best of the best in holistic approach and wellness um, and incorporated that into a whole model to create a kind of a one-stop shop for wellness. Can you talk about a couple of the different movement types that you utilize? So... You know, everybody kind of uses that tagline of functional movement. Um, so we are, our background is in uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. So we really strip down uh, movement as a whole to developmental kinesiology and how, so developmental kinesiology is how we learn how to upright from the age of birth to one year old. Um, so we really kind of break everything down based on programmed movement patterns in the brain. And then we incorporate many different movement modalities within that um, lens, if you will, to our uh, rehab approach. So across the years, we have incorporated um, like powerlifting movements. We've incorporated Olympic weightlifting movements. We've incorporated Pilates. We've incorporated gyrotonic. There's a lot of different avenues that we have taken with movement as far as rehab goes into the functional model. Um, so it's it's a it's a big playground, if you will. I love it. So what does a visit at Catalyst look like? All that being said, um, it honestly depends on the case that comes in the door. So if we're talking about a an average wellness patient who typically is used to getting adjusted once a month. Um, you know, we do a functional movement evaluation. We watch a gait evaluation, you know, watch them walk in, watch them sit down, um, go through a couple of movement screens um, just to assess hip hinge, um, how we're holding head, neck, and shoulder posture, how you're reaching, um, how you're breathing, how you are bending to pick things up. So we're going through just a couple of quick movement patterns and then we go into a manual treatment that incorporates adjusting any soft tissue, dry needling. Um, and then, so that's about 15 minutes of the visit and we try to reserve 10 to 15 minutes to um, work on some kind of a functional movement pattern that you may have shown was dysfunctional in the initial five minute evaluation that we went through at the beginning of the visit. Um, so we're really trying to create that, again, whole body, um, treatment where we're not just adjusting and sending out the door. We're really addressing the functional um, capacities of our patients um, that keep them moving day in and day out when they're not in the office. So something that we've been discuss discussing in our office recently is how we're different in the sense that we transition people from acute care 
to not only wellness, but performance and injury prevention. Mm -hmm. Can you speak on that a little bit and how that makes our model different? Yeah. Um, so it really starts with education, in my opinion. I feel our model um, has been built on establishing a strong communication with our patients, and that starts by telling them what the hell we're doing. <laughs> because if, if you're just treating and not educating the patient on what the problem is, and just because it hurts in the shoulder doesn't mean that it's in the shoulder, um, that's the first piece of the puzzle. And once you, I'll use the shoulder for example, once you tell someone that their shoulder pain is being caused because their posture sucks and they can't keep their shoulder blade on their rib cage and they can't breathe right, so they're not using the right muscles to do so, it opens up this entire conversation of questions and awarenesses, awarenesses, that's a word, right? Um, uh, brings awareness to things that this patient may have never thought about. So then they've now graduated from, okay, I'm not here just for an adjustment. I am learning about the things that are affecting me and causing me to feel this way. And so once we get through kind of the acute treatment plan of, okay, this is where it hurt. This is what we do to help make that pain go away. Then we graduate to, okay, this is how we stabilize it and keep it from coming back. And then we graduate to, okay, now that you have really rewired that pattern in your brain and you can catch yourself throughout your daily life and daily activities, now we talk about why it's important to have a, I won't say necessarily supervised, but like a controlled environment where we start to train movements and train specific exercise modalities that basically become injury prevention for the future. So if you take a patient with shoulder pain and you graduate them through the end of the rehab model, like we've got them out of the queue, we've taught them all the things to do in their daily lives, but they go back to the same activity and you have not put them in the place to reboot re that same activity, we're not likely to get through a cycle without another pain episode. Mm -hmm. So it is plugging in the education and making sure that doctor and patient and anyone else who is involved in that training process, we're all speaking the same language. And that reproducible language becomes like a song to the patient. And the more they hear it, the quicker their brain starts to react and the more ingrained it becomes in their systems. Um, so it really, it's kind of a no-brainer in my opinion. Um, once, once you see it taken as a whole and kind of watch the pieces from step one to step two to step three to step four, once you see it as a symphony, it, it's like, it tells a story and the patient then can tell someone else exactly their experience and be like, this is how I got better and this is how I stayed better and this is why. Mm -hmm. And what I think is really cool about our model is we're not trying to create a need for our care, right? Yeah. We're, we want to transition people to use us to optimize their function. Mm -hmm and not just rely on being on the table for treatment three times a week, which is totally different than yeah. what's being currently yeah. touted. Yeah, empowerment, right? Exactly. Um, it, is, it is very 
important that conversation includes this is a two-way street I have the knowledge to help you but I can't make you do the work mm -hmm. and the work that I do on the table is not the work that's gonna make you better and keep you better and keep you doing the things that you want to do I can help you get there with my manual skills and with needles and with postural restoration things and tape and all of that but it's a band-aid if you aren't doing the work to help write those motor programs in your brain and continue to do that over and over and over both in the clinic and in activities of daily life we don't get past that kind of subacute care because we get stuck in the reliance on manual care and then the patient kind of gets lackadaisical in doing their own stuff so um, it is about patient empowerment and encouraging them and continue to encourage them across the span of the visits um, because you're a team effort and that I think is what a lot of our, our patients really enjoy because we're not only their physician, we have created a relationship that shows we are invested in them as people and we believe in them and we're cheerleaders for them and we want them to do everything that they want to do pain-free. I think the other really interesting thing is that we look at more than just pain, right? We're looking at function, we're looking at nutrition, we're doing a deep dive into the cause of their pain or their dysfunction, which is totally different. Like most people don't have the time in their schedule or make the time in their schedule to take an hour with a patient to do a new intake. Mm -hmm which is what I think really makes the difference long term because you're addressing all of the places that that dysfunction could be coming from. 100%. The, um, you hear the term root cause um, being thrown around a lot in healthcare today and everyone is after the root cause. Unfortunately, Western medicine is not in a place in the way that it's structured with all of the corporations these days that our um, traditional med medical doctors have the time freedom that they used to whenever small private practices were around. And so unfortunately, the majority of America is getting shortchanged on time and therefore the doctor doesn't have the time or capacity to get to the layers that we truly need to get to to understand why this patient is in pain. Um, and that's where uh, we have really focused a, a dial on mind, body, spirit in our holistic model because we can talk about pain, but if all we're dealing with is the musculoskeletal function of pain, but it became painful due to a trauma that wasn't necessarily physical, it's hard to get through those barriers if the source of the trauma is not discovered and dealt with. And I mean, some people will argue that that is not our, our avenue of practice to talk about the emotional or the metaphysical or anything like that. But if it is not encouraged or even the idea isn't even brought up to the patient, you're missing, it's a blind spot. You're missing that potential link that could get you over the hump, the plateau, or it make the make the difference in the treatment plan. So again, it comes back to that relationship building. And if you have created a safe space and created that solid relationship that your patient trusts in you, um, it opens the door to many different conversations that allows you to get closer and closer and closer to the root cause. 
And I feel like something that we have talked about here before is if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. Right? If if you don't take the 24-hour food recall or request a vitamin D test, sometimes the patient doesn't have somebody who has the time to do that. So mm-hmm. I think that's a, another important thing to think about. Yeah, we have, um, I don't know, I think we could borderline um, come up to the title of a healthy healthy aging advocacy um, because again if we don't ask the questions we don't know if they have a physician that will and a lot of times the way that we're thinking in return in terms of functional medicine and um, how we look at endocrine function and hormone function is a lot different so if we don't say things out loud that we know isn't being talked about within the box of medical treatment right now, we miss an avenue. We miss a window that could potentially change a person's life from a healing avenue. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's pretty a pretty cool place to, to be practicing. So talking about your practice, how did you start in practice? What did it look like growing the business out of Big Bend? How did you expand to Heartland? Yeah. Um, so Travis Travis and I bought Big Bend as an existing practice in 2014. And um, we were two <laughs> 25 and 26-year-old doe-eyed kids that had two kids under two and really no business experience whatsoever. Um, so we bought this practice. Um, and I think after the first year, we it was like 32 patients out of 250 that we, we retained um, <clears throat> because we, we bought a run-of-the-mill rack'em, crack'em chiropractic practice. And we completely, <laughs> it sounds so crazy, like re- recounting this whole experience because we basically just came in and ripped the rug out from these patients and we're like, oh, sorry, we're gonna do it a different way. Um, and took out pretty much all of the passive modalities, like we didn't have e-stim, ultrasound, the roller bed table that everybody was used to coming in and laying on for 15 minutes before they got adjusted. Like we were like, we have hands we wanna use and we're gonna use them. And they were used to five minute treatments where we were giving 30 minute treatments and incorporating whole body not just hey this hurts today doc we were adjusting head to toe doing soft tissue head to toe and then addressing any dysfunctions rehab wise doing it ourselves we didn't have any CAs we didn't have any additional staff it was just us Um, and so we really kind of got our feet dirty in the mess of trying to learn how to do business completely changing a style of practice and basically losing the assets that we had purchased um, and being told that this model wasn't going to make it. Um, So fast forward 10 years and we have four clinics and um, a slew of different modalities of treatments that we incorporate and a a team of amazing physicians that we just got blessed with finding us to be a part of our team. Um, And that's what Travis and I have always said is the right people will find you and come to you at the right time. And that's always what I have um, relied on whenever it come, comes time to hire is the right, per- the right people will find us. So that's how we got to be 
here in four different places. Um, but the first opportunity that we got to expand out of Big Bend was Heartland. And it was um, just a satellite in a Pilates studio. And I was still very active in the CrossFit gym at that point in time. And I think it was October 2018, I dropped a barbell on my neck um, after failing a snatch attempt and um, had a pretty significant cervical disarrangement that led me to walk away from CrossFit and ended up using Pilates to rehab. So fast forward a couple of years and um, I ended up buying the Pilates practice from the woman that I was renting from because she was kind of wanting to be more present in training as opposed to business owning and I was going to business own forever anyway. So <laughs> um, that's how kind of we got into this rehab studio model here in Heartland. Um, and then Gyrotonic came along and we just kind of started winding the DNS lens onto Pilates and onto Gyrotonic. And it's just, it's magic. And the rest is history um, as far as how we've kind of built this rehab studio clinic model up to be what it is today. So we get a lot of backlash from other chiropractors and other professionals as to why our model of care won't work, why being mostly cash-based won't work. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, have a, I, I have thoughts from every year of practice <laughs> that I've been in. Um, I When we came out to Heartland as a satellite, clinic that I offered that as a cash only service because what we're doing is all inclusive. It's not a subluxation code. It's not a diagnosis code. It is we're taking our skill set and evaluating the patient in every visit we're providing relative manual care in every visit. We're providing relative nutrition and lifestyle advice in every visit. There are a slew of other things that are incorporate, incorporated into every single visit that we have with a patient. In the world of insurance, first of all, I, am, I, I think it's what, two, two uh, CPT codes that we're limited to? Not, not very many. Something like that. Um, I haven't done insurance in a very <laughs> long time. But it, there is no way, shape, or form that we could justify what we're doing in every visit by billing that many codes and not getting basically sued. Mm -hmm. it, it, the quality of service that you're getting out of how much we put in there is no reimbursement that insurance could give to us that would amount to what we're worth. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to any patient that has been a part of the practice in Heartland since it since we came out here in 2016, they've paid cash from the beginning and they have weathered every increase in cash fee that we have taken. Which have not been that many. Which have not the two. <laughs> two in, in what? Eight, eight years um, but it's the proof is in the pudding when you see how many patients have established their 
healthy aging wellness process with us. And um, I, I personally think that being a part of the insurance networks is a, a place to start in practice because it teaches you a lot. It teaches you your value. It teaches you what you are willing to give away versus what you're not willing to give away. Um, and it, it makes you be efficient as a young doc. But whenever you approach treatment the way that we do and the model that we have built, um, it's, it's a no-brainer that it has to be a cash practice because of how much we push into every single encounter that we have with a patient. And that, I mean, I would give everything in one visit if we had time for it, right? But um, it's just the, the insurance companies are incredibly limiting and it's only getting worse. And so from a business model, when you want to provide a hands down, this is the best quality that you can get, it's going to be a cash model. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting. I mean, we all we all do so much continuing ed. Mm -hmm. and, and so much continuing ed that we don't get credit for. Yes. <laughs> we read books. We share articles. We're kind of a, a place of education. So I think people really do get their bang for the buck. It's not just a an in and out service. Correct. Yeah, we, again, it, it like I said in the very beginning, it, it really stems from education. Like mm -hmm. our entire model is evidence-based, but all of our team language is based on what we collectively learn and continually share amongst each other and continue to push each other in taking different modalities and different classes. And we do that mostly as a team. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, that approach is, is really kind of what sets us, uh, sets us apart from others. The other thing I hear from other healthcare professionals of the reason that we won't succeed in practice is the amount of time we spend with people, that it's never going to be lucrative enough for us as doctors, which I find very interesting because I didn't get into healthcare to make a lot of money. I got into healthcare to help people and to not feel burned out and to do something that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, my, the sentiment is, is very similar. I, I too, it is written in my, in my genes that I am here to serve. And I have known that since I was a teenager. I have been called to volunteer. I've been called to work with elderly. I've been called to work with kids. Um, but for me, that service is a matter of quality. And I can't sacrifice my physical capacities. I can't sacrifice my heart, my mental faculties by trying to rush through something. So for me, establishing an hour long new patient visit, 30 minute follow-ups in my first year of practice, that wasn't enough time because I want, I want to be thorough. My reputation is built on being thorough, being present, listening, making a safe environment, and therefore putting out a quality service. Um, so it really wraps itself around 
being able to communicate what the intention is in spending time. And nine times out of 10, the patient that comes to you that has been everywhere else, they're enamored that you are sitting down and listening to them. Mm-hmm. So when you look at it from a business standpoint at a bird's eye view, we're not gonna be a multi-million dollar practice. This kind of mid-volume where we're spending you know, 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes with patients and you're seeing maybe nine or 10 patients a day instead of 40. It really, especially as a female, I don't know how long my body would sustain treating 40 patients a day. Back in my first five years of practice, I would treat anywhere from 15 to 20 patients a day at 26 years old and be exhausted. So you do that for 10 years, even feeding 15 to 20 patients a day, you do that for 10 years and kind of burnt out so being able to charge for what our skill set within that all-inclusive visit is worth and scaling down that number to what our bodies can tolerate what our minds can tolerate it makes a, a sustainable living in in my opinion now I I don't have I'm, I guess expensive taste. I don't live excessively outside of my means. I try not to, but I, I truly believe that what we're doing and the quality of service and the the style of practice that we subscribe to, we are getting both sides of, I guess, pay for our service. We're getting to reap the benefits of helping people live a healthier lifestyle. People come in every day and say, you changed my life. I get to do this now. I can do this because you helped me do this. And then we get paid to do it. So I think on the income side of things, we are richer than somebody who gives away an adjustment 40 times a day because we have invested in so many different avenues of people's lives that that in turn give back to us on top of being paid to do our job. So if you look at it from a, again, a holistic approach, it, it really feeds the mind, body, soul, and allows you to pay your bills for your family and put food on the table. So how do you foresee this healthcare model taking hold going forward outside of Catalyst? I think that there has been a significant significant shift since COVID in general. You see a lot more of the integrative um, medical doctors popping up in these like concierge practices that they're stepping away from insurance and they're doing kind of like private member associations to have access to a, a physician who will write in lab orders whenever you know you need to. So I think you're starting to see that shift in the mindset of other physicians as a whole, which is helpful for what we're doing. Um, But I also see the flip side of the patient um, involvement. You have a lot more empowerment for society to be involved and to be actively advocating for themselves and their health, both in and out of the doctor's office. So you have a lot more a lot more of society that are looking for alternative ways, that are looking for 
things that are accessible to them and tools and resources that they are asking for responsibility to take on for themselves. Mm-hmm. We are a, a wealth of knowledge in that aspect, and we're also the only ones that are giving them the time in that same regard. So outside of the practice here, I see that kind of um, encouraging other young docs who are coming out to look at the model and say, I, I have these skill sets already. I don't have to invest anything more to create a multidisciplinary approach. Um, and so I, I see perhaps maybe a little bit more of a networking of sorts of these kinds of multidisciplinary uh, facilities around the world um, kind of working together for the common goal of creating this safe environment that offers a lot of different viewpoints from one place. Um, you're seeing it, like I said, with concierge stocks, but you're also seeing it in like dentistry and optometry. They're starting to incorporate functional nutrition plans for healthy eye aging. So you're, you're seeing these little pockets of, of, um, I guess all inclusive types of treatments coming out of every different professional service industry um, a little bit more every year now since we're really realizing that that patients want to be in control and they want more um, say in their healthcare. Yeah, and I, I definitely think it's becoming a more em- empowering environment and it's also asking more of the patients mm-hmm. that. You know, if you want to have cavities filled, okay, but where did they come from? Mm -hmm. For example, in dentistry, they Mm -hmm. talk a lot about nutrition and the acidity of the mouth. Things Mm -hmm. like that are becoming more common, which I think is an awesome shift. Yeah, it's it's very fascinating um, just to see how many different places in healthcare um, you can ask questions and get to a different layer of, um, of dealing with healthcare than what we could before. And also we're learning more about some of these chemicals and um, how they're affecting our organic systems within our body. So there's more awareness around that and people are asking for more things that have natural sources Um, And that for us is incredibly, um, I I say empowering, but an incredibly cool stepping stone because chiropractic as a whole has always been the most natural approach because it's not dealing with anything that we're putting in the body or on the body. You know, we use tape and supplements and stuff like that. But... At its whole, from its origin, it has always been to restore function of the central nervous system. We can talk about the methods of restoring function to the central nervous system via the adjustment a different day, because that's a big conversation to, to be had um, from an education standpoint for a patient. But I think that that has been our platform from the beginning of the profession of chiropractic. And um, the more we try to continue showing how we're doing that walking into the next generation i think it it just becomes more steadfast last question for you 
somebody who is graduating in 2024 as a new healthcare professional, chiropractor, or other, what would be your biggest piece of advice for them? <laughs> um, God, that's a big one. You don't, you, you are, you don't know how to be a doctor. Um, and that's okay. But just because you have X, Y, and Z certifications and you have taken a million extracurricular education classes in your postgraduate, in addition to your postgraduate curriculum, um, you can have all of the knowledge in the world, but it does not show up in the treatment room like clinical experience does. So um, it's incredibly challenging to work with a doc, an associate that we want to bring on um, that isn't open-minded and willing to sit down and look at the, the ugly stuff, right? We're so um, protective of our egos and so protective of what we've invested into our education and into ourselves as far as time, money, all that kind of stuff. But what we fail to see is if that is the focus when we go into our first year of practice, we're not showing up for patients in the right headspace. Mm -hmm. And out of school, because I, I mean, I remember it, but I was going into business for myself and uh, as a child of a, a parent who ran several different corporations over the course of the time that I grew up, I knew what that meant. Going into business for myself was not winning the lottery. <laughs> it was an uphill climb that may or may not pay me within the first five years. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at that as a doc who is graduating, who is going to go into an associate position, um, or, you know, I'll talk about business ownership from that standpoint a different time, but it just, we lose sight of the why we're doing this and get fixated on worth. Mm -hmm. And as a business owner, what I'm offering you in your first year of practice says nothing about your worth. It says something about your clinical experience and your skill set and the knowledge that you have is foundational and you can take that and put it into the treatment room and the more times it goes into the treatment room the more shaped and refined it becomes and that refinement is what blossoms into growth and that growth leads to more patient encounters and more patient encounters leads to more pay and more clinical experience, clinical pearls. So there's this trajectory, I think, in um, graduates' heads that, you know, you start here and I'm going to be here by this point. And it does not take into account all of these peaks and valleys that happen along the way. Like you and I have talked several times about what happens when you take two Thursday Fridays off in a row, mm -hmm. and what that happen what happens to the the flow of, of of a treatment schedule? It still happens to me as a doc in in ten years. 
you know, I take two weeks off to go to a DNS course and the, abroad and I come back and yes, I have my steady flow of people that I have on a weekly basis, but sometimes the schedules don't align and I don't see, you know, wellness patients for six, eight weeks. And that's, you know, 20 patients that I've lost out on in a month because mm -hmm. of the way that the schedule falls. So there's a lot of nuances that come into, um, what practicing looks like that you don't have any idea about as a graduating doc. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's just coming to the table with humility and being willing to have open ears, open heart, open mind um, to learning, to continue to learn in your first couple of years of practice until you really get a feel for the flavor that is your own. Um, and then you start building that and you build your raving fans that love your flavor and they talk about you and then you, you know, you either continue building your, your practice within the associateship or you build your own and, you know, there's so many different avenues, but, um, I think the, the biggest lesson to take away from that would be starting with, with a little bit of humility and patience to, to get your feet wet. And I will add, I think trusting the process and being able to communicate effectively, whether it's with your employer or your patients, is one of the biggest things to take away from the first few years of practice. And it's okay. It's, it's up and down for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And your communication skills, um, they, they suck. You don't know what you, you don't yes. know what you don't know. And not, no two people communicate or process or hear the same things. Um, so you, you have to have a, a very wide and varied vocabulary and be able to interpret people's reactions and not show emotion and not take it personally. Um, it's just as much a psychological adventure as it is a, um, a complexity of thought process and, and differential diagnosis and all of that kind of stuff as a physician you're also having to deal with pain science, your own psychological um, presence, your own ego, what you feel about yourself, what you think your patients feel about you. Like there's just so many things that, that happen in every encounter with a patient. Um, and it, it, it becomes a symphony over time, but it takes time. Well, hopefully we gave you guys a little bit of insight as to what our podcast is going to be about, the things that we're going to continue to discuss and explore. Until next time, I'm Dr. Sierra. And I'm Dr. Casey. And we'll see you in about a month.